0: Trust That Has No Rust, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, July 15, 1973. The text is taken from the 37th Psalm, the 5th verse, commit your way unto the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. As Mr. Bruder has gone over to preach in our junior church in the annex congregation of fourth and fifth and sixth graders, which meets each Sunday morning at this particular period of the hour, it is my privilege to read you from the word of God, one of the great psalms, first nine verses of the 37th psalm. Fret not yourself because of the wicked, be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good so you will dwell in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your vindication as the light and You're right as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over him who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off. But those... Who wait for the Lord shall possess the land. Have you ever noticed how every generation in its own style and uniqueness asks the same question about God? A few moments ago, one of our college students, Liz Klein, sang a very beautiful but perhaps haunting number which asks a question, as it's one of the featured numbers in the musical and now the movie, Jesus Christ Superstar, How Do I Love Him? Thank you, Liz. And the rest of these young people, who some of them are college students, some are high school, we're very indebted to the effort which you have so beautifully given us this morning. In the number which they sang from God's spell, day by day, day by day, O Lord, three things I pray to see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly. And in presenting that particular petition in the prayer, they are really presenting also a question, but how, how do I see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more new Well, to some of us from another generation, we would probably like to answer, perhaps using also the word of the music of another era. Trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no no other way to be happy with Jesus but to trust and obey. But even when we bring forth that solution, we have not answered the question, okay, but how do you trust God? What does it mean to put your confidence in the Almighty? You see, for some of us, our trust, is covered with rust, somewhat corroded, colored, tarnished. It's beginning to oxidize, disappear. And trust for us is not what God intended us to have. Some of us have trouble with trust. And there's rust growing over our trust simply because of confusion, confusion as to what really is this thing called trust. It's not all our fault. Convenience, convention, custom has enabled us to believe that we are trusting when we are doing just the opposite in reality. Is it just because somebody puts an appearance in a church once in a while? That does not necessarily mean he trusts God. Just because somebody prays to the Almighty, that does not necessarily mean he trusts God. Just because we print on our currency, in God we trust, that does not necessarily mean the government nor the American people trust in the Almighty. And just because you and I say we believe in God, that does not necessarily mean that we trust him. Some of us are confused on this point, but you see, faith and trust are not the same. It's altogether possible to have faith in someone and still not trust him. There was a tightrope aerialist by the name of Boudin, and once after proper publicity, he cast his rope and erected it over Niagara Falls and announced that he would walk across that thin highway from the American to the Canadian side. And when the day arrived, of course, a great crowd did as well, and they held their breath with every step that the man made on the slow journey, and he made it. And when he got to the Canadian side, instead of crawling off of a platform, he, he pulled a young boy up to him, placed the boy on his shoulders, and turned around and made the return trip. And when he got back to the American side, of course, he received not only the congratulations of the people and the applause, but also little sheets of paper where they could attain his autograph. And one little boy handed a program up to Boudin and said, Here, sir, please may I have your autograph. And the man who was signing replied, Now, young man, do you believe that I can walk across that tightrope? Oh, yes, sir, I believe it. And do you believe, young man, that I could carry you on my shoulders across that wire? Oh, yes, I believe that too, sir. Okay, young man, climb up on my shoulders and I'll give you the thrill of my life. No, sir, the boy said. He grabbed the paper and ran. You see, he believed. He believed, but he didn't trust. And consequently, because there is confusion in some of our minds, rust is growing over our trust. And we're confused as to the true meaning of that great biblical word. Some of us are having trouble with trust simply because of a misconception. We somehow have received the idea that trust is something that you give to God in return for the assurance of prosperity and protection that he first gives to you. Like Jacob of old, we read this in the 28th chapter of Genesis, where that young man, when he was still young in the faith, said, okay, if God goes with me, if God will keep me on this path which I choose to take, if he will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, And bring me again to my father's house in peace. Then, then, the Lord shall be my God. And that was mighty big of Jacob. And it's mighty big of you and me, some of us think, to give to God our trust. After we have the assurance that he's going to bless us with protection and prosperity. That's not the biblical idea of trust. If you read it as we make the fifth verse of the 37th Psalm, the text of this sermon, you will notice what comes first. If you commit your way unto the Lord, trust in him, he will act. To the psalmist, trust is not something which is a reward, but rather a requirement for trust. It's a prerequisite. You trust and then God acts. Yet how many of us know people who feel that they have given something to the kingdom in the form of a time, talent, a time or a treasure to a particular church, to a particular preacher. And they think that God should reward them in some way, and when tragedy strikes, they give up their whole faith in religion. It's a fact, you see, that more people are led to atheism by the road of Emotion than they are than the way of the intellect. Seldom do people sit down and calmly think themselves and themselves into a position of denying and criticizing God. They are rather there when they are thrown into a corner, beaten, and heart sick. As someone has said. Atheism comes into our life not when it is pushed out by logical thinking, but when it is crushed out by the circumstances of everyday living. And some of us, because of our misconception, misunderstanding of the meaning of trust, are not growing closer to God, but rather growing further away from him. Because of that misunderstanding. And I know it's going to sound very strange to some of you, but believe it or not, one of the things that can cause us to grow over our trust is our concern. It sounds strange, does it? But it's true. Sometimes we can be so concerned and care so much about ourselves, our family some serious sickness that a friend has about some injustice in the world, that we get so worked up in our prayer life and in our personal philosophy, instead of trusting God, we cannot help but tell him what we think he ought to do. And usually then what happens is that when God does not do what we think he ought to do, we lose trust in him. I know I have problems in this area, because sometimes I think God's just not doing the right thing the right way. I have many friends who, during these last few years, have given up the church in their fight for what they believe is right simply because they were a little upset with the way God was coping with the program and the problem. You see, we tread on dangerous ground when we attempt to believe that God needs some direction. God's been coping with this world long before we came here, and he'll be doing it long after we go. But it's so hard for us, while we are here, to trust him. We must be very careful, because this is one of the tragedies that humanity has fallen into generation after generation, of trying to prejudge the wisdom of God. The Jews, when they were down there in Egypt, they said, it's all over, it's all over, we're slaves. The Jews under Moses, they said, it's all over, it's all over. We're going to perish here in the desert, the Jews in, in the captivity of, of Babylon. It's all over. It's, it, it's all over. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? The disciples on Good Friday, they said, it's all over. It's all over. God is dead. But history shows to us from yester generation... Nothing was over except their mistaken concept of the wisdom, the providence, and the guidance of God. Nothing was over but merely something new, greater, wonderful was opening up. They would have known it if they had just trusted God. Like some of us would know it, when instead of questioning why, something's happened, we just trust. But you know, I think the reason most of us, most of us, have rust growing over our trust is not because of confusion or misconceptions or even overly concerned, but I think it is simply because conscientiously, continuously, we will not claim the promises of God. I, I, I don't know why, but sometimes I know myself, I, I, I just don't claim those things that God tells me or so. God said he loved us, and he did it with the death of his own son. Do you believe it? God said, I'll never make you go through more than what you can endure. Do you believe it? God said, be not anxious about the things of tomorrow. Just seek first the kingdom of God. How many of us now are not subconsciously and consciously thinking about the things we're going to have to say and do tomorrow, right now? God says all things work together for good for those who love me, who are called by my name. But do you believe it? God works in wondrous and mysterious ways, his glory to perform. Do you believe it? Colonel Young husband, who sounds like he should have been an American Indian, but who I think was a British colonel once was sent on a very hazardous mission into Tibet. Dangers were all about him, but yet, right through the midst of it, he seemed to walk with a serenity and a self-assurance, an inner peace, and he was asked, Colonel, how do you do it?
1: 2 my
0: boy, twofold, he replied, one, I have been sent here by an unimpeachable authority whose purpose is sound. And secondly, if I do get into trouble, all of the resources, skills, and power of the government, which is behind me, will see me through. We are children of the kingdom of God. We have been sent here by God's providence to this land for the purpose, a good purpose to live and to go out and make disciples of all nations. And we have the authority of God's government behind us, all of its skill and its power, that if we get into trouble, that will see us through. But do we believe it? You know, there was a lot of humor, as well as a great amount of truth, in that, in that woman who could sleep during the air of London during the Second World War. And she was asked why she could be so calm, and she said, Well, the preacher, the parson, says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps, and I argues with myself, why should both of us stay awake? So I say to blazes with Hitler, and I go to sleep. You know, that's very New Testament in its concept of trust. But I don't know what it's going to take for some of us to get to that place where all we can do is hang on. I personally, as some of you know, and as many of you disagree with, feel that unless we have depravity, disappointment, great discouragement, and sometimes some great personal destruction, we never really get to that point of really having to do nothing else but hang on. Arthur J. Gossip was one of the finest preachers that Scotland ever produced, and Scotland produced many. His wife died very suddenly and dramatic, and it shook Dr. Gossip to the very depths of his soul. Yet, like Job of old, he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And the first Sunday, Dr. Gossip came back to the pulpit. He preached a sermon, a famous sermon entitled, But When Life Tumbles In, What Then? Some of you know that sermon. I wish to close by quoting part of it, for I know some of us in these particular days of the year are reminded of moments when loved ones have been lost, and all we could do is hang on. Gossip says, I do not understand this life of ours, but still less can I comprehend how people in trouble and loss and bereavement can fling away Peevishly from certain Christian principles of faith. In God's name, fling for what? Have we not lost enough without losing that too? You people in the sunshine may believe the faith. But we who are in the shadow must believe it. We have nothing else. I hope God spares some of us to be able to have trust in him before we reach that period of life. God bless you. Father, in this place where so often we hear the words of lovers expressing their trust in plenty and in want in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health. Help us, in our response to your love, lovingly say unto you, we trust you. And like Jesus from the cross say, even in the moment of death, Father, into thy hand I trust my spirit. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you now and forevermore.